newer members and visitors may not know about this, but I have made it a practice for a long time to have a song of focus that we sing that's related to whatever sermon series we're doing at the present time. We call it a psalm of focus, and it's been my practice to introduce these psalms by preaching from them, and they actually become sort of part of the series. Like, this is part of the Hebrews series. It's a song that is associated with what we're studying in Hebrews. So it associates songs with what we're studying in God's Word in the, our sermon series. Uh, just like I was just showing you that like, uh, John 15 can be associated with Psalm 23. A lot of other things can too, but there's so many ways that these things are connected together. So last week we finished the great faith chapter in our sermon series in Hebrews. And when we began that chapter, we took Psalm 31 as our psalm of focus. Because Psalm 31 talks about trusting in Jesus and the outcomes and benefits and blessings that come from that. And it talks about trusting Him in hardships and things like that too, which is what many of the examples that are given to us in Hebrews 11 talk about. Next week, Lord willing, we will begin Hebrews 12, and from that point on in Hebrews to, through chapter 13, we will be exhorted in that book to advance in the life of faith with Christ. Think about how Hebrews is set up. Okay, He is presented to us as the marvelous object of our faith, the one that we are to trust in for salvation and for strength and for pilgrimage, for all of these things. He's presented that way in the first ten chapters of Hebrews. It goes showing all the wonderful things about Him as our priest. There's things that are shown us in Hebrews that we don't have anywhere else in the Bible, that He's a forerunner, for example, and you know things like that that are very rich and they're very clear about Him being the priest that offers a sacrifice of Himself that saves us forever. These things are so clearly set forth there. Here is the object of our faith set forth for us. Okay, in the first 10 chapters. And then in the last half of chapter 10, we are exhorted to believe, to trust in Him. Like, where are we going to go? This, is, this has been, all been presented to us. He is this way of salvation. And then we have uh, chapter 11 that we just finished where we're given examples of saints in the Old Testament that trusted in the Lord and the blessings that come when we do trust in the Lord. And we saw all kinds of different wonderful examples and helpful examples. Now, coming to chapter 12 and 13, we're exhorted more specifically about advancing in the faith. Like in Hebrews 10, it was given to us in a very strong way at the last part of Hebrews 10, but now it's kind of fleshed out and what that looks like in the church, what that looks like in uh, trials, chastisements, all, all those kind of things. It's all about continuing on in faith with Jesus, running the race with Jesus, with Him as the author and finisher of our faith. That's what we're going to be looking at in chapter 12 that will set the foundation for where we're going in Hebrews. Now, because of this emphasis, I thought that a really excellent song for us to sing while we're looking at this was Psalm 84, because it's a psalm, it, it goes along well with the exhortation to press on in the pursuit of God's kingdom, not because it exhorts us so much. Okay, Hebrews is going to do the exhorting. <laughs> that's, what, that's what this 
it's, it's a book of exhortation. It's going to exhort us. You must go on with Christ through all these things. But what does Psalm 84 do? It, it presents it in a different way. It's a song that gives the whole church to express our delight in going to God's house. Our delight in the way by which we go to God's house, which is Jesus Christ, the highway that he has given us to go to Christ. We express, it gives us sentiments to, to bring before God in song that are pure and holy sentiments. Sometimes we're, we're distorted and confused about things, but here we have pure and holy words of what, what should our desire be as those who are going to God? What should we be thinking of this? It, it, it really enriches our devotion, and it, and it has a way of, of pushing us along too. Like we don't always have those ideas. We don't always have those thoughts of desire for His house, and we don't have the right focus. And so these, these words help to, to put us into focus. We need to make it the song of our heart. It's not always so, is it? But we want to come up to it, as it were. We want it to be the song of our heart as we sing it with, with our words. So uh, I very much hope that it will be a source of great encouragement and help for all of you as you go through this world to the kingdom of God and the kingdom of glory and to our God and Father, to His wonderful house. It's a very heart-enriching psalm. So as I read it to you now, I do encourage you to listen carefully because this is God's word that I'll be reading. It's, it's, it's breathed out by God. It's holy. And after I read it, I'll expound it to you and, uh, in the hope that God will use that exposition to help you sing it with fuller delight and benefit over the next few weeks. So here is God's holy and precious word, Psalm 84. To the chief musician on an instrument of Gath, a psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage or on the highway. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. O God, behold our shield and look upon the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. And may the Lord richly bless us in hearing his word and now in considering what it means for us. You can see that this psalm is about going to the house of our Heavenly Father. If you're a Christian, that is what you have been doing from the day that you are born of God's Spirit, from the day that you trusted in Christ, from that day you had a desire to be with your Heavenly Father, the God who created the heavens and the earth, 
and everything that is in them. You understand that you are a sinner and that your sin cut you off from God, but now you're trusting in Jesus Christ who has promised to restore you and whom God sent as the way to the Father. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And so you have come to Him in order to go to the Father. And so you have been going onward and upward by grace ever since. I told you already this psalm expresses the sentiments that we have or ought to have as we go along. In verses 1-4, through we express the longing, the yearning that we have to go to God's house. In 5-9, through we express the confidence that we have in the way, the highway that our Father has provided for us, which of course is Christ. In verses 10 through 12, we express the joyous expectation we have of seeing our Father when we get there. He is all the glory of the house. The Father Himself is the one that, to whom we go. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, really. Um, let's look at how each of these sentiments is expressed in this psalm. First of all, that we sing of the longing that we have for our Father's house. That's how it begins, isn't it? We begin with exclaiming how much that we love His house. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. The word tabernacle means tent. When this psalm was written, the representation of God's house on earth was a tent that God had given His people while they were in the wilderness. They were in tents. God dwelt among them in a tent. After they built houses, God built a house among them. He, he ordered them to build the temple. So this was, uh, there, was, there was a tent, and the words, how lovely, are more accurately translated, how dear, or how beloved is your tabernacle. And it's a subtle difference there. But we're telling him not only that his house is lovely, but that it is lovely to us. That we love his house. Is what the emphasis is here. That we delight in it. So it's dear to us. It's a dear, dear house. It's where we want to be. And indeed, his house is very dear to all who have had their eyes opened by the Holy Spirit to be able to see the truth and the reality of God's house. The Spirit has shown us how wretched we are and how we're separated from God and, and, and cut off from God by our sin. And it has shown us how wretched our condition of being cut off is where we've cut off from the Father. But we have also seen His grace that calls us to return to Him, to come to Him, and to be saved through the saving work of Jesus Christ, what He did on the cross to atone for our sins. That we can come back to the Father and we can be restored to Him, and we can live in His house forever and ever. That is our end, our destiny. That is where we're going. So we're, we're very, we're, we're, we're delighted to be those who are, who are cut off from Him, and now we're able to go to His house and to live there forever. We sang it in Psalm 23, didn't we? In the next verse, we tell Him how much we want to be there and to see Him. Verse 2, my soul long, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. These are very strong expressions here. 
Uh, one translation says that our soul is, that we're pining away for him in his house. In other words, we're, we're full of desire for him to be with him, our father in his house. It's something that has, has taken our soul. It's taken possession of what we are. This is what we're living for now. This is what we're moving to. And I told you, sometimes we say, oh, those sentiments, they're not so much there for me. Well, well they need to be. You need to come up to this. You need to seek Him that, they may, that it may fill you. That this is your passion. This is, what else matters? I mean, what are you going to get in this world? What are you going to get? If you get everything in the world and you lose your own soul for all eternity, what did you get? You got nothing. We're talking about eternity. We're talking about God the Father. We're, we're estranged from Him. And what a delightful thing that we, we should have a passion that we want to go to Him, especially when we see what we're really like. We see the ugliness of this world and, and of our sin. There's no more glorious place to be than God's house in all the universe. It is a place where there is no sin it is a place where God is loved as He ought to be loved and where God is served as He ought to be served by every inhabitant. It's a place of pure and holy love where people not just put on an artificial, but where they actually, truly, purely love one another wholeheartedly. It's where there is peace and fulfillment. There's not an emptiness and a striving that never that's always disappointed. It's a house where we have pleasures forevermore, where guilt and coming short are completely a thing of the past. It's a house where sickness and suffering are entirely abolished and where we truly love and truly are loved, both of those things. There is no place like our Father's house. We tell Him how we have observed what a welcoming place His house is as well. Can I go there? Can I go to that house? Even the sparrow has found a home, the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. In the Bible... The sparrow is used to refer to what is very lowly, what is very unimportant. When Jesus talks about how God will provide for us as humans, he says he even cares for the sparrows. He says are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, for a penny? You know, they're, they're, they're very little value. And the Father takes care of them. And so he's saying that, you know, there's, there's this welcome there. Our, our Father is the sovereign Lord of all. He's called here the Lord of hosts. And you think about this majestic, sovereign God. He's not going to have any interest in someone like me. I'm just a peon down here. I'm, I'm a sparrow, you see. And, but he's not like that at all. He welcomes the lowly into his house. He regards them. He has even provided altars there that we, we sing of this where sacrifices are made for our acceptance where we've sinned against Him and we're cut off from Him. By our, we, don't, we don't even deserve to come to Him. And He's got altars there to, where Jesus, of course, gave Himself on the altar for our sins. He's made Himself Father to the lowly and to the unworthy. See how the sparrow dwells there with her little ones. Our Father 
warmly welcomes us. Picture him as a householder welcoming his guests as they come to his house. Not his guests, but his children who come to live there. His people that come to live there forever and ever. What does the scripture actually say about that? It says that all heaven rejoices when one sinner repents and sets out on that journey to go to God's house. Heaven, re- God rejoices. Listen to this verse from Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one, okay, this one we call Lord of hosts, will save he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Now picture him, the welcome. They're here. He's singing. He's rejoicing. This is our gracious, loving, kind Heavenly Father welcoming us into his house. In verse 4, we declare what a blessing it is to be able to dwell in that house. We say, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. This is is magnificent. He is magnificent. We'll be praising Him and praising Him on and on and on it will go. We yearn then to be with them, with those who are going to this house. How blessed are they? We want to be there for the blessing that is promised. It's a dear, dear house. We long to be there. How lovely, how dear is your house to me, O God. That's the sentiment we want to cultivate, brothers and sisters. By His grace, we can go there because He has prepared the way to get there. He has made a highway for us to get there. And that's the next thing that we come to in this song. The second thing we sing about, we sing of the confidence we have in the way that the Father has provided for us to get to His house. And in the delight that we have in that way, we go in His strength. Look at verse 5. We, we just said, blessed are those who dwell in your house. Okay, well, we got to get there. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. Pilgrimage, he's going somewhere. And really that word could be translated highway. I'll say more about that in a minute. Christ, our beloved Savior, is called the captain of our salvation. Okay, we learned about this in Hebrews 2.10. That's one of the things in Hebrews that we don't have in other places. He's called the captain of our salvation in Hebrews 2.10. And you remember as our captain, what does he do? He goes ahead of us into places that we could not go. It's like he's blazing the trail. He's breaking through places where we were cut off and excluded. And that would be from our father's house. Okay, he carves the way that was blocked out for us because of our sin and condemnation. He has made that way by his suffering and death in our behalf. He came to represent us. He bore our sins. And now he is admitted into God's house. The barrier is broken through. And the only way through is the way that Christ made. He is the way through. We follow our captain. He goes ahead of us. He's also called the forerunner. That's someone that goes there and stays there But he's a forerunner. It means there's other people that come after him. And so it is. He goes also with us along the way. He strengthens us along the way. We go leaning on our beloved for support and for help and strength. He upholds us by his word and spirit, by his sacrament, 
by His intercession. He's constantly strengthening us so that we can keep going in the way because it is hard to go in the way. We could not go a single step without His enablement. He is even responsible for baptizing us with the Spirit in the first place so as to renew our hearts that were once opposed to God in His house, that didn't want anything to do with God's house, to completely change and turn us around so that this is what we want. The word translated pilgrimage, our heart is now set on pilgrimage. Do you see that? That's what the Holy Spirit does when we're born again. We are set now on going to God on pilgrimage, on the highway to God. That has become our desire and passion. Christ Himself is the highway. And this word really could more accurately be translated here as highway. Some, some versions translate it that way. The highway that God made to bring us out of the wilderness of sin and death that we might come to Him. We love that highway. Our heart is set on that highway. That highway is a person. That highway is Jesus Christ. And the Spirit turns our hearts to Him for salvation, to cling to Him and to delight in Him and to abide in Him all the way. Without me, you can do nothing. We read it in John 15. How does the Spirit do that? The Spirit opens our eyes to see the truth about God and about Christ, about our sin and about our condemnation and being cut off. And He opens our eyes and turns our hearts to see the glory and beauty of our Heavenly Father that we were just talking about and what we're excluded from in order that we might desire to go to Him. The Spirit does that. He changes us completely from those who are opposed to God in His way, who have no interest in it, to those who do. And He opens our eyes and turns our hearts to see Christ is the saving way and to set our affections upon Christ and upon Him as the way to go to the Father. The Spirit does all that. He showed, Jesus said, the Spirit will come and the Helper will come and He will show you these things. He shows the world these things. People that have no interest, you talk to them about the Lord, and then all of a sudden, they have an interest. And they come and they want to come. That's what God's Spirit does. We would have no, help of any, no hope of anyone ever coming if it were not for God's Spirit. Our hearts are fixed then and sustained by grace. But that does not mean that it's easy. It is His plan, and we need to understand this, it is His plan for us to go through hard things to strengthen us and to strengthen our love for Him. People sometimes are confused and sometimes disillusioned because they say, I came to follow the Lord and I was, it was hard. Well, you shouldn't be surprised by that. Jesus tells you that it will be hard. He makes that very clear. We saw it in John 15. He said, if they've persecuted me, they're going to persecute you in the same way if you're going with me. If you go my way, that's what you can expect in this world. The world's not going to like you going to God, going to the city of God, going to the house of God. We must rely then constantly on Him to go on. We sing of how the valley of weeping in Him, by His grace, becomes the place of nourishment, encouragement, and renewal. Look at verse 6 and 7. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. So the picture here is of, is of, is of us heading out to God's house with joy and coming to this valley of Baca. The word means valley of weeping. The weeping can be caused by disappointment. 
We're disappointed by lots of things, aren't we? Maybe we're disappointed by loved ones that have let us down or betrayed us. Maybe we're disappointed with our own failings or because we had misplaced expectations and we're disappointed. It can be caused by hardships, injury, sickness, prevailing sickness, persecution, bereavement, barrenness, the loss of a spouse. When we go through the valley leaning on Christ our beloved, when we go in His strength, the valley becomes a place of fruitfulness. The valley of the shadow of death becomes fruitful. He actually makes us stronger through our hardships, more committed to the way, more delighted with our God, more joyful in our communion with Him. If we truly do have our hearts set on going to our Father's house and the way to our Father's house, then we go in that way through the valley with Christ and we're actually strengthened there. Sometimes we feel like we're being ruined, we're being torn apart, and we've been pulled away from God. But the trial forces us to draw not only our strength from Him, but also to take a fresh look at the beauty of our God so that we'll be encouraged to go on. Because you won't want to go on unless you take a fresh look at what is before you, where you're going. And the more you take a fresh look at that, then the stronger you are in your commitment and your resolve so that those valleys become something that that you can go through. The valleys, we're tested over and over again and the trials can get harder. But we become stronger and stronger as we go along. Now, an unregenerate person will be hardened because they're not with Christ. They come up to that hardship and they say, ah, this isn't worth it. Their heart wasn't really set on pilgrimage. Their heart wasn't really set on going to be with God. But a believer will lean more heavily and gladly on him and will go, as it says, from strength to strength to Zion. Grace to grace, glory to glory. When the way is hard, it makes our desire to come to the Father's house stronger than it ever was and our love for him greater. The valley of Baca threatened to stop us, but instead God used it to strengthen our longing for his house all the more. False sons are turned away in the valley. True sons are strengthened and go forward. Can't you testify of that in your Christian walk and pilgrimage? The hard times have been the times when you were strengthened the most. You felt like you were being torn apart. You felt like you were losing. But God brought you forth because He's the one who does this. See how we whose hearts are set on Christ as God's way cry out to God that He would receive our prayers and that he would regard the Savior that he has provided for us. Remember what we saw in John 15? Jesus kept saying that you, um, if you ask the Father in my name, he'll, he'll help you, he'll answer your prayers. Well, in verse 8, we say, O God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. He has provided access to himself where we can get help in our time of need by prayer because of Christ and his merit we can expect our prayers to be heard. Did Jesus not tell us? Ask the Father in my name, and it will be done for you. That doesn't mean you can ask for anything. You know, oh, God, give me a Mercedes. I ask in Jesus' name, and then he's got to give it to me. No, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about doing his will. 
If you ask him, Lord, I'm in the valley and I want to go to your house and I want to, I want to love your house. I want to see your house. I want to draw me out, bring me. God will answer that prayer. He may not answer it right away. He may answer it through many hardships that you have to go through. You have to fight and wrestle. That strengthens, hardens your muscles, makes you confident in serving him. The sovereign Lord, the Lord of hosts, promises to hear us and to act for us when our prayer is to come to him. You want something else? He may or may not grant it. We can ask him for other things. He may or may not grant those things. I mean, even something good, like you, you know, maybe you ask for a, a godly spouse. He may or may not choose to give that to you. But if you ask him for help to go on to his city, he'll always answer that prayer. In verse 9, we ask him to look at the shield that he gave us and at the one that he provided to represent us, the anointed one, the Messiah, Christ. Remember that word, Messiah, that word Christ, what it means? I've talked to you about this before. What does it mean? It means the anointed one. The one that was anointed above measure with the Holy Spirit as our prophet, priest, and king to represent us. Christ is the anointed one. All the prophets, priests, and kings give way to him. They're just shadows of, of the one true prophet, priest, and king who represents us. That's why we don't have priests now in the sense of Jesus has offered that sacrifice for us. So, um, so we, we, we come to him and we ask God to look upon the one that he has provided. It says, O God, behold our shield and look upon the face of your anointed. Whereas, Lord, don't look at my merit when I come to pray to you. Don't look at my record. Don't look at what I've done. Look at the face of your anointed. The one that represents me is my prophet, priest, and king. Look at him. And then we have confidence that we'll be heard, you see. He covers our sins. He came to be our, our shield. He shields us from God's wrath. He shields us from Satan and his attacks. We trust in him. He came to be our priest, to sacrifice for our sins. He came to intercede for us. See his face, God. See his beauty. See his perfection. See his tears for our sin. See his sufferings that you regarded and accepted in our behalf. See his merit. And then we know that we will be accepted. He is the way, you see. Jesus is the way that God provided for us to come to him. We can't go there without him. He's the highway. But now we come to the best part of all about which we sing the joyous expectation we have of seeing our Father when we arrive. Now, of course, we've already spoken about that a little bit at the beginning, didn't we? But here it's really brought to a, a head. Indeed, He is what makes His house so attractive. As uh, Sands of Time sinking song says that the bride eyes not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face. He's the glory. Christ is revealing the Father to us, is the one that we go, the Father in heaven that is revealed in Christ. Indeed, He is what makes the house so attractive to us. He is there. Ever read the prophet Ezekiel? Go all the way through the whole thing. And the very last verse in Ezekiel says, the Lord is there. Talking about the city of God, the house of God. That's what makes the house of God the house of God. Him. He's there. That's the whole beauty of Emmanuel's land. Heaven is often portrayed falsely by the world 
as just a better place that's never defined? I mean, you know, somebody died. Oh, they've gone to a better place. They died. Like, no, they didn't. That's a lie. Unless they're a believer, they didn't go to a better place at all. They went to hell because they rejected Jesus Christ and the God the Father. In the Bible, heaven is going to God. It's always presented. Glory is where God is. Heaven is where God is. It doesn't even matter. It's not a place like that. It's where God is. Heaven will be new heavens and new earth will be the earth restored with God present. You see, that's heaven. In, in the world, heaven is portrayed also as an escape for people from things they don't like. Well, it's okay if the thing you don't like is being ungodly and cut off from God. If that's what you don't like, heaven is a place to get away from the things you don't like. Because it will bring you to God and it will make you holy. That's what heaven is all about. But it, it's, it's, not, it's not a place where you just get away from stuff that's unpleasant to you, that whatever that might be. It's the place where we're delivered from wickedness that we might be brought to our Father in heaven. That we might come to Him. That's the focus. That's what we sing about in verse 10 and 11. In verse 10, we sing of how the very courts of His house are a thousand times better than admittance to any other house. Look at what it says. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I did a thousand elsewhere. Some versions add that. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. You see why I said a thousand times better. <laughs> One day in his courts is better than a thousand somewhere else. Doorkeeper is an over translation, really. The word simply means to be near the door. The doorkeeper is actually a, a kind of a, a high office in the church. And it's not that. He's talking about just, just being near the door where I, can't, where, where I can't even go in, but I'm just outside the door. Like, that's sufficient. It's better than being in the tents of wickedness. I'd rather be there than right in the heart of the tents of wickedness. The tents of wickedness promise you bliss and pleasure, don't they? It looks very enticing. Remember Proverbs? What does the seductress do? Come, come. Come and partake. Come and fill yourself. And you go there and you die and you're empty. But the way of wisdom invites you to the house and there you flourish. There you prosper. There you're enriched because you're brought to the Father. You're brought to relationship. You're brought to lasting goodness. The world's way, it looks sweet, but it brings about sorrow and misery and ruin, bitterness. All this reminds me of the Sorrow Phoenician woman. I talked to you about her not too long ago, I think, but she always comes back to my mind. I, I love that story. She comes to Christ and she petitions him and he says, you're a Gentile. I came for the children of Israel. I came to bring the blessing to Israel. That's what my job is while I'm here now. And so he sends her away, so to speak, and she won't go away. And uh, she sa he says, you know, I'm not here. Uh, it's not right to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. And what does she say? She says, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. You see what she's saying? Like just to be near the house, is, if, if I'm even close, it's enough. It's so much better than anything else I can get anywhere else. Like just give me, I'll crawl around under the table and get crumbs. If I have a crumb from you, it's better than a feast of wickedness somewhere else. 
That's the picture here. I'd rather spend a day in the courts of the, the Lord than a thousand elsewhere. This is the picture. The climax here is in verse 11. The delight we have in God's house is in God Himself. Our Heavenly Father is the one who makes the house such a wonderful place. This house, it has the finest of furnishings, the most beautiful order. It has the most gracious servants. Jesus Christ is the chief servant. We're all servants. Serving one another, blessing one another. That's what we'll all be doing. It's, it's a wonderfully, beautifully ordered house. It's a delightful place. But the glory of the house is the master of the house. The glory of the house is the head of the house. The glory of the house is the Father. For the Lord God, it says, verse 11, we say in this song, is the Son, S-U-N, and shield. We call Him the Son because He is radiant. The brightness of His glory fills that house forever and ever. His creatures surround Him with praise and delight and adoration, seeing His purity, His holiness, His goodness, His wisdom, His power, His strength. He is majestic and brilliant. It's impossible to tire of Him. He gets so tired of, of the things in this world. We pursue them and they grow, we grow weary with them. But here is something that we will never tire as we, the inaccessible light as we explore layer upon layer of His glory. And we'll never, ever, ever exhaust it. He is the Most High God. We also call Him our shield because here is a place of perfect safety. He has no fears for His, his people and His house. It's a safe place. He is majestic and invincible. Invincible majesty is what He has. There's poise. He is the one who has control. No devil, no storm, no pestilence, no famine, nothing at all can harm us in His house. When Adam was put in charge of the garden, then Adam let Satan into the house and he didn't deal with him. When Christ is there and when the Father is the head of the house, Satan doesn't get in there. Never, ever, ever in all eternity. He is our shield. So the, this, is, this is the climax, that He is the one. Our Father is also shown here, we say, is supremely generous. We sing that He will give grace and glory. Have you ever noticed how often, like to read the Gospel of John, Jesus says over and over, my Father gives this to you. My Father has given me, He says, all things. Always you see the Father, what's always happening? He's giving, 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 giving. After all, He gave us life, didn't He? He gave us life and then He gave us eternal life. The Father is giving. Now, He will give grace and glory, it says. I want to talk about that grace. That's, that's a splendid thing. Grace speaks of His favor and blessing. By His grace, we become what He made us to be in the first place. One who is beautiful. One who worships beautifully. Wouldn't you love to worship perfectly and beautifully? That's what we're talking about here. One who serves others beautifully, perfectly, beautifully, without any kind of reservations. Just a holy purity. That's what grace does. One who welcomes others and is delightful to others. We'll, we'll all be delightful to each other in heaven. Delightful, not annoying. We'll be a blessing 
to one another. It's just incredible to think about. That's what grace does for us. It changes and transforms us to be like Christ. And glory. Glory is the honor that we have when grace has done in us the work that I just described. Our Father's glory is seen upon us. We become that which is admired. That which is glorious. No, we're, we're far we're far, far from that now. But one day in His courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. He gives grace and glory to His children. What a generous father. Fathers provide for, our, for their children. What does He give? Grace and glory to every single one of His the sparrow, whoever is there. Okay? We sing on His generosity no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Once his grace has done its work so that we're upright, what we we're just talking about, so that everything's right in us. Once his grace has done that work, we will see his unbounded generosity then. We don't see it now. If we had God's unbounded generosity, if, we, if he just gave us all the stuff, all the riches that divine pleasure can give, we we would ruin it all because of our sin. It would ruin us. It's not merely, you see, that, he will, that we will have no suffering and sorrow that's described here. It's not even that we will be given an abundance of good things. It's something much more than that. What does it say? He will not withhold anything good from us. You, you get that language? Nothing good will be withheld. Things are withheld from us now. Nothing good will be withheld. No good thing will he withhold. When we're made upright, it will not ruin us as it would have done as abundance does in this world. He is a father that lavishes his children with good gifts and pleasures when they are upright. People say, why do we have all the problems in this world? It's because we're not upright. It's because it would ruin us. People are most ruined that have the most. That's the way sin works. We conclude our song of God's house with these words. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. The one who is blessed is the one who has faith. Trusts, the one who trusts. That's what we're talking about in Hebrews, isn't it? The one who trusts in the Father. By faith, we believe that God is. Remember Hebrews 11? We believe that God is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. We believe that this house is what it says it is. We believe that God is the glory of that house. And so we trust in Jesus Christ because He's the one who died to save us, that He might bring us to the Father. Hebrews presents Him as that one. That one that is the way to the Father. And we believe, we trust, we, we cling to Him. We look to Him as the way to the Father and to that blessing that we believe also. We see Him who is invisible, and we rejoice in the inheritance that is yet future to us, that's promised to us as if we are, we're, we're certain of it, to dwell in his house forever. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who does what? Who trusts in you. Are you trusting in him? Are you trusting in his Christ? Do you believe these things? Are you longing to go to his house? Are you trusting in the way that he has provided to get there? Are you rejoicing in the hope of dwelling with Him? Him in His house forever and ever in glory? Hebrews 12 and 13 exhort us to go 
through this world in the way of Christ. And that's what we're going to be able to look at as we continue our sermon series in Hebrews. Please stand. Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Lord, there is no one like you. We praise you, O God, that you make yourself known to us through Jesus Christ. He is your face to us. He is the one who shows us the Father and said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. But we praise you that he is one that is especially accessible to us because though he is the eternal son, he is the word who became flesh and dwelt among us so that we could behold his glory, the glory of the, as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We thank you that he promises us grace He promises us salvation in your house. He promises to bring us to you, to bring us to you so that we will be beautiful, wonderful, lovely creatures that are fit to dwell with the eternal holy God. Father, we can't even fathom that. We praise you that this is what your grace does through Jesus Christ. And we pray that we would have faith and that we would believe And that we would trust you to do this, O Lord. We come to you not expecting to see all of the perfection in this world. But expecting to see it when we come to your house at last. We thank you, Lord, for the hope that we have. We thank you for the picture of our Father rejoicing and singing over us. Delighting that we are coming home. That we are coming to him. And all the blessings that he has reserved for us and in store for us. Father, fill us with delight in these things. Oh, Lord, we're so dull, so dull. Pour out your spirit upon us, Lord. Enlighten us and enrich us, Lord. Give us hope and strength. I pray for those who are in the valley of weeping. I pray, Lord, that you would help them to go from strength to strength, that they would turn their eyes to you in that valley, for you are with them in the valley, and you will bring them through, oh, Lord, if they... Continue to trust in you, O Lord. Give them the grace and strength they need to go through that valley and press on to the city of God, to the house of God, to the glory of Emmanuel and his land. Oh, Father, thank you so much for the hope that we have. Blessed is the one who dwells in your house. Blessed is the one here on the earth who trusts in you as we go on and on and on to your house onward and upward from glory to glory is by the Son leading us and helping us. Oh Lord, how we love the way that you have made, the way of Christ, what a suitable way it is, what a good way it is, what an unfailing way. We, we want to go in the unfailing way. We come to our Lord Jesus. We come trusting in him and leaning upon him. He alone is our salvation. Oh Lord, look upon the face of your anointed and be gracious to us. Hear us and answer our prayers. He is our our merit. He is our strength. He is our representative. He is the captain of our salvation. He is the forerunner who has gone ahead of us. And now it is our passion to come after him. Oh, Father, make it a strong passion. Make it a stronger passion. It's a weak passion. It needs to be stronger. Our, Our eyes are on you, O Lord. We're pleading with you. Do the work that only you can do. By your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
There's a blessing for those who dwell in his house, how blessed they are. And that last line, how blessed are those who, who trust in you. Well, we have the privilege now to receive God's blessing as his people. So welcome, welcome his blessing. It is for you who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.